DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to welcome Jay Drew back to the show. Covers the BYU football program for the Deseret News. Jay, good morning. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing all right. Getting getting some golf this summer with all other activities pretty much suspended. I assume you got in some golf? Yeah, I got in probably a little bit more than usual. Uh, It's a little bit different, you know, with all the protocols and leaving the flag stick in. And it's nice to get your own cart, just drive around by yourself. That's one of the rules, at least where I play. So, yeah, it's uh, I have been able to play quite a bit this summer. So the country club makes you drive your own carts, huh? <laughs> no guests allowed at the country club. Though. I haven't been to, I haven't been to the country club all summer. I've been playing out at Glenmore, my my home track. So we are curious about the BYU football program. The Cougars have six game canceled, six games on the book. Before we get to the Big 12 and all that, do you have any sense how solid the six games on the schedule are, or do you think more games could go away? Yeah, uh, you know, everybody's watching the Mountain West. That's the big one with the three games there. Um, I think if the Mountain West goes conference games only, uh, that, that BYU will really have to turn heavily to that plan to, to just play fellow independents. Um, I think that'll be kind of the, the final straw. That said, I really don't have a feel for what the Mountain West is going to do. They've A lot of the group of five conferences have been really quiet throughout this thing, especially the AAC and the Mountain West. So um, I noticed today the Sun Belt uh, announced they were going, what, eight conference games, but allowing their, their teams to play non-conference if they so desired. So, But, yeah, I, I think the Mountain West is kind of the big one that, that BYU fans ought to be watching right now. Because if they if they go conference only, I mean, this is obviously going to be the one of the worst schedules in BYU history, if not the worst. How about going with the Big Twelve, even if it means means playing several games on the road? Yeah, I think as of right now, there's no Power Five teams on the schedule at all. So, I think if you get the opportunity, if you're BYU, to play two, maybe three. Uh, Big 12 teams and they're on the road. I, th- I think you just have to take it. Uh, obviously, if there's some a payday involved, um, you know that's even better because let's face it, a lot of teams aren't going to get crowds. I mean, be what are they saying? 20 percent at the most. So, if you're going to have uh, mostly road games, this is probably the the year to do it. Uh, I mean, obviously BYU fans aren't going to be happy to hear that, but but. Uh, um, as far as uh, revenue, revenue stream goes, this might be the year to kind of bite the bullet and do that. And, and then, but you also have the with BYU, ESPN. How involved is ESPN in all this? Um, because obviously they want to see some inventory. They want to see BYU play some decent teams at home. Uh, but as of right now, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. So do you think the ACC is in play? I know that was kind of back burner and not the top priority, but you're flying charter, so what does it matter once you're on the charter where you're flying? Uh, do you think with their plus one model there that maybe BYU could pick up some games? Yeah, I think so. I haven't studied it real closely, but um, 
I think a lot of um, a lot of ACC teams they're they're doing that plus one so they can play a, a rivalry game like I think what South Carolina versus Clemson would would been one Georgia Georgia um, Tech Florida Florida State yeah yeah there's a bunch so is there one out there um, that basically doesn't have a kind of a natural or geographic rival um, there might be like I said I haven't studied that real closely. I saw on Twitter where somebody mentioned Virginia, which would be a kind of ironic. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I think if you're BYU right now, you, you just can't afford to be picky. You can't afford to have pride. And, you know, if, uh, you, know, if you have to basically bite the bullet and, and take whatever the Mountain West offers, um, I think yeah, all those have to be on the table for Tom Homo. So is this going to be the season of Zoom interviews? Yeah, for sure. That's what uh, BYU announced yesterday is uh, the first ones today at 12, 12.30, 12.45, something like that, after practice. And they basically said in their media advisory that uh, all interviews will be done remotely, you know, all of fall camp. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's disappointing. It's uh, obviously we get – little glimpses here and there of of practice during fall camp and now that's that's gone as well so just have to roll with the punches and, and go with what they what they give us you know a lot of time in your hands you don't realize how much time you spend driving <laughs> to interviews and then waiting i have spent the last four months really learning that about my own life yeah it's crazy uh you know sometimes you go a little early just because they might cut practice early yeah. Yeah. uh so you gotta you gotta kind of be there um dave rose used to do that quite often uh, you know and uh kyle chilton was calling everybody and said hey they're they're in and you gotta get you gotta get here so so yeah that's why you go early and spend like you said spend a lot of time standing around chit-chatting with uh fellow reporters we get to know each other fairly well in kind of some of those situations as far as the football team goes, they don't have a lot of questions, right? Because they got a bunch of starters returning. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, Kalani and the few Zoom meetings that he held over the summer and other coaches were, they talked about they had a lot of talent coming back, that this might be the better, the best team in the Satake era. So uh, there, there are a few holes. I mean, that safety, they got, you know, Diane Gawalku and Austin Lee are gone, and, and they're plugging in uh, Troy Warner and Zane Anderson, and obviously there's questions about their health since those guys have missed most of the last couple of seasons. Um, and so that's maybe one. Offensively, you know, they're they're pretty thin at receiver. They lost, excuse me, the three receivers, senior receivers, so that. You could consider that a whole. They've got some good recruits they like there. But, uh, yeah, I I think this is uh, along the offensive and defensive lines. they got a lot of experience coming back. Um, they, you know, they lost Devin Kafusi to Utah to that transfer. But other than that, they've got pretty much their uh, defense intact from, from last year, aside from those two safeties. Do you think if they play a shortened season – especially if they can't even get to 10 games, they're going to see some very strategic redshirting where possible, play the four games and then move on, depending on what the schedule looks like? 
Yeah, yeah, that's certainly an option. Um, it, you know, along those kind of same lines, what, what do you do if you're Matt Bushman and Kyrus Tonga, that, you know, the two guys that came back that might have been drafted? Um, they, You know, if it looks like there's only going to be a few games, do you – do you play with those, or do you just start preparing for the the draft? So there's a lot, a lot of questions, personnel-related questions uh, that'll have to be answered once uh, once we do see what the schedule, the season is, and then and then there's always the possibility of cancellations. You know, we've already seen that with Major League Baseball, so who knows what's going to happen there. So how are the practices going to run as far as what the regulations of what they need to be doing with the virus? Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, that's a, a good question. I noticed they've, they've been putting out a few social media pictures, and some of them, especially last week, guys were literally working out with masks on out on the practice field. Um, I think the ones they sent out yesterday, I don't think the guys were wearing masks, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you do you hold everything outdoors, uh, or do you move some indoors? Uh, you know, they they tell us, you know, outdoors is probably better uh, as far as preventing the spread of the virus. So there's a lot of questions. But to be honest with you, there was no media day uh, this year uh, that was canceled twice. So a lot of us are kind of in the dark as to what's going to go on down there. What are you? Uh, what are you personally most intrigued by? If you can get past all of the medical news, yeah. Well, and I, I guess you'd throw the scheduling news in there, like who they're going to play. But as far as on the field, I, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting if they how they're going to keep these quarterbacks happy. Uh, assuming you know a lot's been said about the quarterback derby, but I, I think it's Zach Wilson's job to lose i think you know he's done enough and he's they've invested so much time into him that i think he's the guy but uh, i think they've got to figure out ways especially to get jaron hall involved maybe in kind of that Taysom hill role or whatever he's just too much of a talent to not to not get playing time somewhere and then and then baylor romney is another guy that you know when he had the chance he showed what he could do and you wonder how if he'll if he'll stay happy basically being the third string quarterback. So, I guess that would be the most intriguing thing is just how they're gonna how they're gonna keep those three guys happy and kind of in the fold. How do they replace Devonte Henry Cole? He was a significant factor for a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's uh, that was kind of a surprise. I don't know that I've ever seen that happen. Um, but uh, I think they were just maybe average as far as their running back position before they added him, and maybe that put that gave him a lot of depth and a lot of options. So I guess they kind of go back to being fairly average. Um, they do have some talent there. They obviously got Lopini Katoa when healthy. He's he's a pretty serviceable back. Jackson Machekney showed some some uh, flashes of brilliance, albeit against a really weak opponent in UMass last year. So they've got Tyler Algier moving over from uh, linebacker. And so they've got some guys. They've got Sione Finau if he's if he comes back from an ACL. Um, but 
the same old thing as we've seen the last couple of years. They just don't have a lot of depth, and they, for some reason, they suffer a lot of injuries at running back. I don't know why that is, but they've had a really hard time keeping guys healthy, and I think that's where they'll really miss having DHC. And then what it also does is it kind of prevents them from getting another grad transfer because he he made his decision so late in the process that that they couldn't jump back into the transfer portal and find somebody else. Do you see uh, BYU losing guys to Utah State? Is this like a one-off? Do you see this becoming a trend? Do you think it'll go back and forth? How does it? How does this? For recruits and for transfers, how do they stack these programs up now? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you'll. I don't think you'll see a lot of BYU guys transferring to Utah. I think the Kafusi thing was a little different because of the family ties to that program and 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 things like that. Um, you know, uh, I think you'll see occasionally a, a guy from Utah transfer to BYU. Um, like we've seen in you know in basketball and now, uh, but I think Utah State is the school that's kind of really benefiting lately from Utah transfers, and I as long as Gary Anderson's there, that'll probably continue. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I think it's probably a kind of a, a one-off or just I don't think it's going to happen flip-flopping guys between Utah and BYU all that often. Jay Drew joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, bigger picture stuff, you know, the, the public schools have to post a lot of numbers out there. I'm curious, you know, if BYU doesn't have a lot of home games, doesn't have a revenue coming in, how does that impact the overall athletic department? A little, a lot? Are there some specific hits? What do you? How do you think this plays out? Yeah, that's a interesting, you know, it's really hard to get any financial information out of BYU. There's some ways like U.S. Department of Education figures and whatever. But, I mean, Bronco used to always tell us that they operated in the black and that he was pretty proud of that. And so if uh, I think if there are programs out there that can kind of handle this sort of uh, loss of revenue, I think, I think BYU is in pretty good shape. Uh, no question about it. There, other sports rely on the revenue from football and men's basketball. And at BYU, I think uh, men's volleyball brings in, or at least uh, does a little bit better than breaking even. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I think they'll survive. Uh, obviously, everybody's going to take hits. You know, well, a lot of schools, the coaches have taken pay cuts and the ads and. BYU is not the type of school that would announce that if they were, unless the coaches themselves announced it. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody in college football is going to be hurt, but but I think BYU probably is more prepared to handle it just based on they don't go into debt. You know, they are pretty proud that they basically pay off everything, like the basketball annex. They said that was totally paid off before they even stuck a shovel in the ground. So um, so I think they'll be a little better off than most schools. Well, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes. Use all that time. You're not going to be driving back and forth to Provo wisely, and, and if possible, that you know means a trip to the golf course. Well, then, more power to you. I'll do my best. Okay. 
Thanks, Jay. We'll see you on the Zoom call. Okay, guys. See you later. Yes. Thanks for having me on. Phrases we never used six months ago, PK. See you on the Zoom call. All right, well, the Zoom call. You let me know how that goes. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Basketball is back. The Zone Sports Network is keeping you up on all the latest news with the Utah Jazz in the NBA. This is a back-to-basketball update. Oh, he never looked at the net! Presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Donovan Mitchell scores 33 points, 24 points, and 8 assists for Mike Conley, but it's not enough as the Jazz fall to the Lakers 116-108. to 108. The Lakers going on a 19-2 run late in the third quarter, and they get the victory. Jazz are off today. They play the Grizzlies tomorrow at 12.30. You can hear the game right here on the Zone Sports Network. Memphis lost to the New Orleans Pelicans 109-99. Zion Williamson finished the game, scored 23 points in the victory. The race for the playoffs in the West continues with the Pelicans beating the Grizzlies and the Spurs losing to the Sixers 132-130. Joel Embiid tallied 27 points in Philly's win. Fred Van Vliet had his best quarter ever, 18 in the third, 36 in the game, and he leads Toronto past Miami, 107 to 103. Michael Porter Jr., 37 points and 12 boards as the Denver Nuggets beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, 121 to 113. This back-to-basketball update is presented by Zions Bank on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. For a bank that understands your business, Zions Bank is for you. been a long four months. Welcome back. Oh, Donovan, don't do me like that. But finally, the NBA is back. Back up and hammer. That is filthy, Rudy. Catch every second of every moment of Utah Jazz basketball. As the Jazz resume play from the bubble in Orlando, your exclusive home of the Utah Jazz is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I do like being right. <laughs> Ask my ex-husband. That happens every time. <laughs> <laughs> ex. Uh, there's a reason it's ex, huh? <laughs> uh. Doris Burke. <laughs> Thank you, PK. I think she carried on the laugh just a little too long. But she's Doris Burke, man. She's the greatest. Are the Lakers the greatest? Did the Jazz just push the champions and then get lit up at the end of the third quarter and what turned out to be the difference in the game? Lakers ain't winning the ship. They ain't doing it. They ain't winning the ship, no. The ship? That ship has sailed. Chomp. Milwaukee? No, no, no. The chomping ship. Toronto? No. Clippers. I'm going Clippers. I think Clippers will win the ship. It is not a bad pick by you. A solid pick. The If they have all their guys. Sure. Absolutely. The uh, the Jazz and the Lakers, that was a good game. And then the Jazz, uh, they went to the bench in the second half. And they had a little turnover fest there. And the Lakers feasted on them and went from down four to up ten, heading to the, heading to the fourth quarter. And the Jazz, we're never, we're never going to catch them at that point. Nah. 
your takeaways, aside from the three-point shooting must improve, because they still haven't had a game shooting 30% from three in this uh, NBA restart in the bubble. Well, I think they're a little light on talent to compete with the top-flight teams in this league consistently. And that's not really earth-shaking by any stretch uh, with Bogdanovich out. And they just don't have enough talent. With him, I think they were, you know, long-shot mix to win a couple playoff series. Without him, uh, long shot to to win one in the first round. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I consider them, I mean, they they proved over the course of 65 games that, you know, they were a pretty good ball club. And pretty good is just that. It's, it's not good enough, but it's pretty good. It's not very good, and it's not great. And there are other teams that fit in those categories, but it is pretty good. And they looked yeah. pretty good. They looked, I mean, the eyeball test, they looked way better than they looked against the Thunder. Now, they still lost the game, but if they play like this, they ought to beat Memphis tomorrow. And so, you know, back to 2-2 two and two and thought all along that, you know, 4-4 four and four a game either way is how this was probably going to play out, and they'll be on track for that if they play like this against the Grizzlies. If they play like they did against the Thunder, then the Grizzlies will probably beat them. Well, I have to assume they won't because the Memphis Grizzlies are not the Thunder. So you got to give the Thunder some credit, some credit in doing in there, what yeah. they did. Particularly with Schroeder. Schroeder has left with uh, his wife, I think he had said, at her second child. So he's taken off. So, But there's no reason why they don't win the next two games. Memphis and San Antonio, right? You'd like to think, you'd like to think that those are set up for victory, and the uh, I guess the question is, can Donovan Mitchell and uh, can Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley play at the level they played at, or at least ninety percent of that? Because they both were really aggressive, shot it well, scored a boatload of points. You were talking about uh, how you thought the Jazz could win this game if LeBron didn't go out there and combine with AD for 60 points. Now, it turned out they combined for 64. Uh, but the yeah. Jazz top two guys combined for 57. You know, Are they going to go out and do that again? Because they haven't combined for 57 very many times this year. Oh, I would imagine they'd, if they did, Donovan probably had 35 or I don't know how many times he's done that, actually. Yeah, uh, Probably not, but I don't necessarily think they need that in order for them to win. I think there's other ways that they can win without those two guys having huge games. Now, on the other hand, there's no reason why they can't be that good and that productive. They're still good enough. I mean, Mitchell's just emerging, and more on the still good enough is more on the attached to Conley whereas uh, Mitchell is an emerging talent in this league. So it's going to be fun to watch him over the next few years to see what he can do because it stands to reason that he'll be better next year and be better the following year after that. Then you start getting to where he's been in the league five, six years. You know, if you plateau, which the level that he would plateau at would still be very good and it would be all-star level. So that's nice, and that's, that's good to know that you've got that in your back pocket that you can call upon. Uh, but as far as them beating Memphis and San Antonio, I don't think they need 57 out of those two guys to win those ball games. Now, they got after San Antonio, they've got Denver in a back-to-back, and so they got to get on a shuttle and ride it back to the hotel on a back-to-back. That's going to be difficult. Woo! There are some guys we were looking at to pick up the three-point shooting with Bogdanovich out. Uh, one of them was Niang. He was 0 for 3. 
Uh, Joe Ingles, obviously, he was one for four. Royce O'Neal, who was one for five. And Jordan Clarkson, who was one for nine. That's combined three for 21 out of those four guys. And the Jazz don't need all four to be on, but they need a couple of them to be on. And that three for 21 from those four guys goes a long way towards explaining why the Jazz shot 28% from three, which is their best night shooting from three in their three games Uh, in the bubble, but it's still a long way from the 38% they were shooting, which was second best in the NBA. It had been a real strength, and suddenly it's a real weakness. They need something out of those four guys. And the three for 21, actually, I looked at Jordan Clarkson's numbers. He's actually been uh, struggling shooting from three going into the break as well. Uh, It had been, uh, he's actually had a run of a half dozen games or so. Right before the uh, the break, he he was uh, one for four against the Knicks, one for five against the Celtics, one for five against Detroit, and one for six against Toronto. So that's a that's a pretty good set of struggles there. Four for twenty going in, and in the bubble he is uh, four for twenty two. So with Clarkson, you know that that's a that's a pretty good that's ten percent of the season right there. And he's struggling. So, going to have to look for somebody else to pick it up from three. But the three-point shooting has got to improve. When you're, when you're second best in the league and you're knocking down the 38% rate, and you know you're going to take a little bit of a hit with Bogdanovich out. You know, they're probably not going to go into the bubble and shoot 38%. Ironically, for all the home court and the shooting background, they were almost the exact same team on the road. The, the home, they were like a tenth or two-tenths of a point better shooting the three at home than they were on the road. So that's not really a factor. They're just shooting it poorly. It doesn't matter where they're shooting it. No, it freaking doesn't. Shoot the dang ball. Come on. Come on. You're not coming up with that. And that little uh, that little drop, that was on me. I hit the thing with my big foot. Yeah. So <laughs> I, was, I was getting restless in my chair. And you and moved and like, ah. <laughs> and I hit the the power cord thing and it popped out so that wasn't a system let's not blame it on the system blaming on me with my poor posture it's been getting me in trouble for almost 19 years (laughs) his poor posture cost us that sale (laughs) now you missed my great line which was unfortunate i think you missed it where i was saying that uh, i don't think that they need to have mitchell and conley go off to beat memphis and san antonio right that you just need to be uh decent and you should win these next two ball games. If you go zero and two on these next two ball games, well, then you got major issues that I didn't anticipate. Uh, now, after they play San Antonio on Friday, you know the back to back. I mean, anytime you because they got Denver, and anytime you got to get on a shuttle, we heard back that. To the hotel, that. We heard oh, that. You hadn't kicked the power yet. We heard the shuttle line. The Denver game, that's going to be tough. Unless I'm totally wrong about Denver. But I think I, I just think Denver tough. has been wildly underrespected this year, and I don't get why. Well, they're third in the West, and they're in front of the Jazz in the standings, so it ought to be difficult. That doesn't make it impossible, but it makes it difficult. I think there's right, a couple but, reasons. Denver, I think Denver dropping a game seven at home last year. You know, they they set themselves up. They had that was the predictable. You got to grow first. You got to stumble first. Okay. They. They don't have a lot of tradition. They've got some guys whose rep hasn't caught up to their talent yet. They're not a team that's on TV a lot. I mean, it's kind of 
easy to see why they'd get underestimated. No, but no, I, I, I not by people who are man. paying attention, but people don't no, pay attention. No, I think we right. No, but I think we got folks who are paying attention. I think we had on Ben Golliver earlier, and I don't think he gave Denver. We want to we want to go the L.A. teams, and, and then we want to jump to Houston. Yeah. Well, okay. With the Jazz, I understand they've got a major injury. So that makes sense to me that you would jump over them. If they had Bogdanovich, I'd, I'd squabble over that, but they don't for the time being. So I get that. That makes sense to me. But Denver doesn't have that. I don't understand why they're not at least included. That doesn't make sense to me. They beat the Jazz a couple times this year. Uh, both games were pretty close. But they got a couple of wins over the Jazz, so we'll see if the Jazz are able to break through. But that one's still down the road a little bit. Right, and they got to get these next two ball games just for the sake of their confidence, because you got to have some kind of momentum going into the postseason. Yeah, I mean, you can't roll in there at two and six, right? Right. And expect, wow, we're just going to turn it on. <laughs> Flip the switch, baby. Yeah, that doesn't seem real to me. Maybe they can. Hopefully, they could if they ended up two and six. I mean, going six and two doesn't ma- doesn't mean you're just going to waltz through either. I'm not saying that, but they've got to have some level of confidence and some level of success to draw upon because this is a new entity without Bogey. Well, these games line up pretty good for them. Uh, Denver, yes. da- Dallas has been not up good. Up and down. I mean, yeah. they lost to Phoenix. Come on. And it wraps up with San Antonio. So, I guess they're one. Those are two. all winnable games there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Denver looks like the toughest game left now that they've lost Oklahoma City in the Lakers. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Because I, I look at Dallas as a poor man's Lakers. They got two really good players, and then they got some suspect after that. And know, who's hot? Can anybody yeah. get hot of those other guys? And there's been, some, there's been some stuff said and written. You know, we were talking about which players would come back in great shape and which not. And the Mavericks have been having second-half drop-offs. They haven't been as good. Is it conditioning issues? Is Doncic a little on the heavy side? He's had some monster games, but like the Mavericks, he seems to be starting faster than he's closing. And it's a really small sample size, so I hesitate to say anything yet. Plus, I think without question, you got a chance to play your, play your way into a little bit of shape, too. Um, you know, how much you can move the needle in a week or a week and a half, probably don't want to overstate that. But still, you get a little more comfortable. But I think that's something to watch as, you know, and we'll see them play a few more games before they play the Jazz. Well, they should be in shape by now. He's been down there almost a month, right? Yeah. Yeah, but the, through the first three games, they've had some start, fast, finish, slow stuff. And maybe it's, maybe it's because, you know, they're just too dependent on two guys, a little predictable, right. and teams get, you know, they, they know how to jam them up at the end of games because they know where they're going. Yeah, I just think that they lack some talent right now. Now, I love those two guys, and those are great foundations because they're both very young. And it's up to the, who is it, Don Nelson Jr., whoever the manager, GM is, and all that stuff to acquire some more talent. But I like their starting point. But I don't think, even without Bogdanovich, that it is going to be just a yeoman's task to beat the Mavericks. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Catching up on everything we've been talking about. and We've been talking about the, uh, the NBA and the jazz and that. We have also spent a lot of time talking about 
BYU, what are they going to do for games? The Big 12, you know, hoping to be the 11th team, round out a 10-game conference schedule. That's not happening. The Big 12 is going 9 plus 1. They're going to play 9 conference games plus 1 non-conference home game. So there are teams looking for games. There may be teams looking to upgrade games because they may be getting leaned on by TV networks. Hey, can we not have a study diet of Stephen F. Austin and Texas State, guys? Huh? How about playing somebody? Uh, because that, and in fairness to Big 12 you know, teams, everybody's got one of those games on their schedule. But now the Big 12's seen the other power leagues take those games away, right? Uh, they had some, you know, like Texas was going to play LSU. That was a mega game. So do they have to schedule something that's a little better? It could be a TCU or a Texas Tech that needs a game, needs a home game. It could be, you know, an Iowa State or a K-State or an Oklahoma State Upgrading, You know, I don't, I don't know. Is Oklahoma State Tulsa good enough or not? You know, Oklahoma State, I think, has Tulsa okay. coming in. Right. And so if Oklahoma State plays Tulsa, then they don't need another game. But if the TV networks lean on them to upgrade, and, you know, and then is Tulsa still going to want to be paid? You chose not to play us. You know, then you get the lawyers involved and how's a contract written and, you know, our eyes roll back into our head. And yet that is the stuff that will determine whether that game gets played or not. Uh, probably. Yeah, I understand your point there. Yeah. Uh, you know, BYU and Texas have played a few teams a few times, so you might look times. at that. But Texas is playing South Florida, and that game might be good enough for the TV networks. So, Oh, I think it's that, that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. So, so that would mean that BYU wouldn't have a shot at Texas. Now, if they, don't, if they can't get enough games out of the Big 12, a game or two or three there, do they go to the ACC, or do they go somewhere else? You know? Like the Canadian League? (laughs) The Mountain West, maybe. I I don't see how Hawaii is going to play. I think that two-week quarantine is going to stay in place for a long time in Hawaii. So I don't see how how Hawaii is going to play football. Maybe they'll lift the quarantine and teams will go in and out. But right now, that would be awesome, though. That doesn't seem like the way to the way to go. No, that that, sure it does. You get to spend two weeks in Hawaii. (laughs) Just do all the classes (laughs) online. Yes, it's totally doable. We're quarantined at the Hawaiian Hilton. I'm on the 14th floor looking at Diamond Head. Yeah! We're over at Coalina. Right. We'll see you in a little bit. Who wouldn't want that, right? <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but if Hawaii doesn't play, if New Mexico doesn't play, pretty soon does the Big 12, they got, or the Big 12. The Mountain West has got three teams in California. How many games are they going to be able to play? You know, there might be some games to be had there. BYU-Wyoming, BYU-CSU, BYU-Air Force, hello. Well, anytime, anytime BYU can play those teams from the Mountain West, I say do it. I've advocated for years, give me half your schedule of Pac-12 Mountain West. We know all the storylines. BYU plays those teams. It's just there. And it really struck me as that last Poinsettia Bowl when they played Wyoming how cool it was for these two teams. And it was a great game. I think Nakua picked off a pass at the end, then they won that ball game. And uh, just the fact that they're, that the, these old-time rivals, because everyone in the WAC slash Mountain West, everyone was a rival of BYU's. Having been on the road every single one of those places, I can tell you when BYU came to town, it was a big deal. They all got sick of losing to the Cougars. That it just meant some, something a little bit more. Put some juice into those games. Yeah, for sure. All right, so if you had to rank them then, if you're advising Tom Homo, and goodness knows he wants your advice, Big 12 is the first priority, ACC is the second, Mountain West is the third. 
Uh, I don't know that I would go ACC second. Really? really. Go, yeah. Go Mountain West, huh? Because I think there's a lot of this blah in the, in the ACC, whereas I think there's more of a charge in uh, Mountain West. Now I understand beating Power Fives means more, so maybe that washes it out a little bit, but a little bit in my in terms of my argument. It's fun when BYU went back to Georgia Tech and ran all over uh, ran all over Tech. Turned out Jamal was a pretty yeah, good running back. Yeah, but that's where we found yeah, out. Yeah, but <laughs> oh, he's pretty good. What they end up saying is, "Oh, that team was having a down year." Yeah. Well, and you're right. I don't know how much use there would be going back to play Duke or Pitt or whoever. Well, yeah. the youth went back to play Pitt when they were uh, first in the Pac-12, and obviously uh, Utah State just went and played Wake Forest, let a winnable game slip away. So there's been a little bit of interaction with the ACC. You were probably were you on, were you on the trip BYU went back to Virginia uh, Lavelle's last year, so it's been a while in Florida State. So there've been a few ACC games I, for the in-state schools. Yes, they had a big comeback. I was there absolutely yeah, down three scores. Game. Just humidity was about one hundred and forty percent. Swimming out there. All right. Well, BYU's got a Zoom call. We assume there'll be a lot of follow-up questions, but I don't know how many answers there can be. And the guy who can really answer it is Tom Homo, and I think this will be a football call, not an administration call. So I don't know how many answers we'll get out of that Zoom today. The release says Kalani and select players. See, there you go. Yeah. All right. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated. Chris, have you noticed any trends with teams struggling with certain things? Oh, the shooting's better than I thought it was going to be. You know, the games I've seen with the eyeball test have been pretty good. I think the defense is just awful, by and large. I mean, some of these numbers teams are putting up are eye-popping. I mean, there are a lot of things teams have to clean up defensively, and some of that's conditioning. Guys are clearly not in shape at this point, at least not in the kind of shape they were in before the pandemic hit. But that will hopefully come around as time goes by. It's certainly something worth watching. And will these teams get better defensively in top-level teams? Teams like Milwaukee, L.A., go down the list. Some teams win by their defense. If it's not there, that's certainly a difference maker. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Your feedback brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or com. There is good news on the horizon for the Utah Jazz PK there is a lot of advice to be had on how they can improve their three-point shooting. So they can just get on social media, pour all over this. The dam will break. The threes will go in against Memphis. And there will be victory, celebrations, dancing off the court tomorrow afternoon. Well, they have social media analysts, so I'm sure they're already on it. There it is. <laughs> Craig says, I think the Jazz are uncomfortable and they're forcing the offense. The environment from location, missing family, world issues. they got average players pressing. It gets worse. They've sold out on three-pointers only. Jerry Sloan would run an offense to generate layups. Jerry Sloan ain't walking through that door. True. Uh, well, all, the stuff about the world issues and blah, 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 that, that uh, not to dismiss that, but that applies to everybody. It's not unique to the Jazz. It's a wash. Everyone else is aware of what's going on in the world also. I would think. <laughs> I mean, the NBA is the most woke league we have. Craig says the layup is one of the highest percentage shots next only to the dunk. He says, 
We jack up threes up there and hope they fall at 23%. Uh, there's still better ways to, uh, to generate shots. Says, I think one key is ball movement. It was better, but the turnover skyrocketed. They got to take care of the ball. They do have to take well, care of the ball. Well, there was a portion there in the third quarter where it really, really hurt them. And then it's not just the turnover. It's the other team scoring off the turnover. If the other team doesn't score off the turnover, well, then it doesn't matter nearly as much. It's not nearly as much of a blow. We've got uh, three words from, uh, oh, Jake liked this. It wasn't him originally. Sorry, let's get full credit here to Carter. Carter says three words. No, Bojan Bogdanovich. Turns out you really miss the guy who scores 20 points a game when he goes away. Only three words, but it's a lot of syllables. (laughs) It is. And you brought up the long snapper that the Sun Devils got in an in-state kid. (laughs) Who says they can't get in-state players? That's the second one out of they got. They also got a commitment last night from a four-star DB out of uh, Saint Bernard's, which is in the right by LA Airport area. Uh, so they got nineteen. They got a high amount of rec- commitments, and they do have another local who is the son of a former Sun Devil. So there are those two. Uh, so you started asking for questions about long snappers or stories about uh, long snappers, and we got a couple of them, and that was good. And Yach filled in with a, a long snapper who got hit in the butt by the game-winning extra point that then limped over the that's crossbar. Yeah, that's entertainment. And he told me so later, Boise he State said... State has their crack, right? Exactly, and it turned out that Mountain View <laughs> had their crack, and it helped them beat Orem 7-6. to six. It was a rivalry game. It was the Battle of Center Street. Grudge match. <laughs> Uh, U-State Iceman says, what about AJ and uh, situational punting to go along with your long snapper stories? Once you've, brought, once you've opened the door to the long snapper stories, then you can start talking situational punting. Situational punting? What are we, what are we talking oh, about? Oh, he filled in for uh, Scotty. There must have been some, was there a technical difficulty or something? And AJ filled in. and Scotty was running late. He was stuck up in starting canyons. He was running late for a coach's show. I'm pulling the audio right now. Oh, uh, okay. It was a coach's show. <laughs> I'm unfamiliar with this story. I had heard of it, but I didn't fully embrace it. I didn't have it. I had to ask Yach, and Yach was the one who started providing all the details on it. I've heard, I, I was, uh, this is back in the day when people congregated at the radio station. I walked up once and heard a couple people having a laugh about situational punning. And so I had it partially explained to me, but I never heard it. And I was kind of in passing when I had it explained to me. Oh, here it is. What does that mean? Downing the ball inside the 20? What are we talking about? Uh, I don't know. Quick kicks on third down. I don't know what he's talking about. What about punting? I mean, how I mean, how in punting, how is there, we just see the guy kick the ball. What details go into punting in situational football? I don't even know where we're at. <laughs> we're talking about punting. Let's go on to something else. <laughs> so that's Matt Wells. That's Matt Wells. So that yeah. gives you a little <laughs> day as well. Wells' final season as the head coach. And Scotty no, wh- showed up like five minutes into the show, but we got that gem out of it. Is that what forced Matt Wells out? No, I think Matt. He just went, said, "That's it. Think, I've had enough. I think I'm Matt, gone." Matt went for an enormous paycheck at Texas Tech. <laughs> I don't think. So it's situational think, finances. It's situational <laughs> finances. The situation was much nicer. It, there's something out there. I saw it on social media. They shot a story about his house, 
and his kid's shooting three-pointers off a balcony, and, and the house is pretty nice. You know, coaches tend to have something big enough to entertain the team, right? So yeah, have, yeah, yeah. So they have a, it's a, you know, part house, part, you know, barn, part, you know, party festival, I don't know, team gathering, team gathering site. So, uh, yeah, they had all kinds of stuff. The house was all, he was, he was the giving The new house a, you're speaking of. Yeah, the new house, Texas Tech, and he was given a tour of it, which uh, presumably went out to, you know, every potential recruit. Yeah, but we once had a producer who lived in Lubbock for a couple years, and he didn't make it sound like that was a garden spot. No, it's dry, it's flat, it's hot, and it's dusty. I've been to Lubbock. I've never it been there. It is not a garden spot. It, like, he downgraded in terms of ambiance going from Logan to Lubbock. But he upgraded in terms of paycheck. Correct. Got a Power 5 head coaching job. So if it's uh, a little west of the best part of Texas, oh well. (laughs) DJ and PK, we're out of here. Hans and Scott are next.